Listen, players. <laughs> You're listening to the Movement, Strength and Play podcast by the School of Calisthenics. Here are your hosts, Tim and Jacko. On this week's podcast, we have a great friend of the School of Calisthenics, Simon Brundish, who is doing and has been doing for a very long time. It's a fantastic work in the S&C world of youth sports. And uh, we get delved deep into something he's super passionate about. And you hear it come across in the tone of the voice and the energy that he's got for this, of the fact that are kids moving enough or are we providing them the right exercise, the right sort of experiences through um, the organized sports that we get them into from such a young age and should we get in them to sort of just just play more uh, and, and all the richness that comes with that let alone the amount of time they get actually moving engaging and exercising when they are literally just playing around yeah, this will be a really interesting one for those of you that have got kids and are from a sporting background because you see the environments that we're exposing our children to around physical activity now. And yeah, things have changed a lot. If you were in, I'm 40 years old, so I remember growing up and you'll you look back with a certain level of nostalgia on what, what it was like when you used to play and what it's like now for our kids. So there's a lot of texture in this one and, uh, and context if you are aware of, of how the environment in which we release our children to to explore their physical potential has changed so much over the years so i hope you enjoy this one simon's always got some good opinions and uh, we try and pull those out of him as well but he's a great guy so this one should be an enjoyable little listen and hopefully some some good takeaways if you are if you are spend time with and around children whether your own or somebody else's of how we can maximize their opportunities enjoyment of sport and just being active for the rest of their life now just before we get started with the podcast tim you you might not be a uh, you might not be a child yourself listening, you might be an adult, but you still want to engage in some play and some good quality movements with parts of your training. And uh, that is where the Scorecast and its virtual classroom comes into play. You can get started with a seven-day free trial. You check out the details in the show notes. Or if you want to come and join us in person, then uh, have a look at the up-and-coming workshops in July, August, and for the rest of the year, they're on the website. Now, the links will be in the show notes for those. And uh, come along, learn, move, most importantly play and have a good time and the last little thing to tell you before we get started normally you expect as high audio quality as Jackie and I can muster now Simon's mic was a little bit echoey on this one so we do apologise it's not I've done some some jiggery poker in the background to optimise <laughs> it as best as I can but hopefully it doesn't ruin or disrupt your listening pleasure too much sit back relax and enjoy Simon Brundish on the Movement Strength Play podcast roll that jingle Right, I'm very excited to welcome a good friend of the School of Calisthenics, Mr. Simon Brundish, onto the Movement, Strength and Play podcast. Simon, welcome to the, uh, to the occasion we've been waiting for for a long time to get you on to have a good chat about all things... Strength and conditioning, youth development, training kids. I'm excited to get your opinions. Dude, I'm very happy and pleased you uh, you guys invited me on. It's been a while. It sounds like I'm half expecting a, a, a chat like on some sweaty carpet at the UKFCA <laughs> about some kind of play and movement. That's, that's, that, that's the wheelhouse. 
Well, that's you're in the right frame of mind then, because that's what I was hoping for. <laughs> Something a little bit of just three coaches having a having a chat and and you being opinionated was was largely my objective for the um, for the uh, for the podcast. So I, I will always do a really bad job of Jack and I stay away from this of doing those like um, pre written bio kind of introducing people because I always think this sound really fake. Um, but with that in mind, give yourself a bit of an introduction and. Yeah, don't be humble. Tell us who you are, what you've done, and a little bit of background to yourself. I am old. I've been doing this for <laughs> 25 years. Um, I used to have hair, now it's gone. Uh, and that largely goes at shouting at my kids. Uh, I have, I'm married with two kids, one 16 and one is uh, a daughter, 16, Lola, and a son, who Jesse, who's 13, and they changed my outlook on coaching, I think. So I'm probably f- right at the early generation of sports scientists. Um, when I finished uni, there was no jobs. There's no pathway or none of that. So um, it was kind of uh, Nick Grantham, uh, Mark Collins kind of age. Uh, and, and there's like five of us left, Frenchy. Um, and you, we just kind of found something. I wanted to coach people to get them in better shape. Uh, and... Ideally, my big grand plan at uni was to set up some kind of network connecting talented athletic kids with good coaches in their sports. And um, and I, I had no idea how to go about this. It was just to try and make my ne- make make some kind of network and name of myself a name for myself so I could start to connect these things and it's taken probably 20 years to get into that position working in the Premier League um, work, work in national cricket international cricket international basketball lots of boring sports but then finding my niche I think as my kids got older with my head of PE um, school teacher wife and working with creating programs for um kids making kids more active and uh, developing athletic skills and movement competencies and whatever the posh terms are but kids don't play anymore and I'm trying to find pathways for them to play and if we can nudge them in, in an athletic direction that's kind of what I'm after. Awesome I love that um so Simon was UK Strength and Conditioning Association Youth Development Coach of the Year 2018 am I correct? That was the eighteen. Was it? I didn't even get a full year either. They changed. They changed the damn schedule, so I got ten months of it because they moved it early just to get rid of me off the off. Oh, they didn't like me being the current <laughs> current coach, so they they just they, they spent an, an extra hundred grand moving the uh, the the uh, conference two months early. Um, you did say you'd be opinionated, Tim. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's to come, I think. Um, right, so let's dive into this because some of the work that you've done, we can we can talk about superheroes and, and strength lab as we, as we go through the conversation. Um, I remember sitting at a UKCA conference in probably something like 2014, 2015 and saw, uh, I'm gonna, I had his name before I was talking, Avery Fagenbaum talking, who's a, oh, a guy yeah. who's done a lot of, a lot of research in, in, in youth development and, and uh, for children in sports and, and activity. And he put up a picture of a playground, and it was a wicked playground. There's a lot of us sat there in the room at the time going, right, okay, we were in our 30s, and, and this looks brilliant. He goes, if someone built that playground in your back, in your, like, estate or where, near to where you live, would the kids come and play? And it got sort of to hang on, sort of to climb on, and the room was kind of silent, and he went, no, they won't come, because none of them are strong enough to do that anymore. 
And, and that's the sort of situation that we mm. found ourselves in. I know that's something quite close to your heart about kids just not being, well, the level of physical ability that we now see in our, in our young people. Give us a little bit about how you see that landscape and, and where we found ourselves at and, and why that's such a big issue. So if we look at it from uh, amongst us, we, we've got uh, an ex-rugby player, we've got uh, strength conditioning coaches, work to the Olympics or Paralympics, whatever. So you would look at, um, let's create um, a needs analysis for the sport we're at, right? And, and the sport we have, we're talking about now, is kids playing. And historically, we have levels of kids playing. We remember from when we were kids, the things we did, climb up trees, jump off, climb up monkey bars. You, you, basically, as a boy, I would find the highest thing I can climb up. And once I'm up there, there is no height, despite me now being fearful of heights. Um, but there, there, I, I still challenge myself walking across a bridge going, uh, I could make that. Because there's something innate about jumping off. And we, we've got to the point where, the, where, we're, where we have deconditioned our children really as parents and our generation of parents and previous generation of parents really the last 15 or 20 years where we have reduced the height of playgrounds from when I was a kid we had this thing called spider park in I lived in Berlin an army kid so we kind of had assault courses and crazy stuff like literal military assault courses as a six and seven year old we would try and climb up um, with no with no constraints with no barriers um, and then this massive spider park we had, which was just um, ro- like ropes, connected ropes and, and that coiled springy stuff. And it was 20, 30 feet in the air. And there would just be sand underneath and you'd jump and climb and fall and you would pull yourself up and you might, you might hurt yourself a little bit, but you'd be fine. And we've, over the last 30 years, got made, um, we sanitised these play areas into smaller and smaller, um, lower to the ground miniature replicas almost if you look at a playground now as opposed to 30 years ago it's almost like going to Legoland and seeing those miniatures of of, of um, train stations and stuff it's mm-hmm. remarkable they're just plastic <coughs> molded plastic and coloured metal and they're three inches off the floor so there's no risk but on top of the no risk there's always a nowhere to climb up there's nowhere to even step up it's like there's there's a a three inch step from the floor so they're just walking um so as a consequence of this kids aren't developing any grip strength they're not develop developing any um any ability to bend and straighten a single leg on uh, from a loading perspective to lift their own body up and they can't pull or climb and we're, we're getting weaker and weaker by the day our kids and given the uh, what we've gone through from the last year is just ample. It's, it's, it's that on steroids. They're getting getting uh, less mobile, less fit, less from all spectrums of fitness, speed, strength, um, cardiovascular, metabolic. All of those things are dropping off a cliff, and we see this within within our program now all the time. Do you this? I've got two sort of questions for you um, on that. Uh, Simon and, and one is going to come from I'm a guy who doesn't have any kids so it's sort of it'd be interesting to see both you two's perspective Jacko's actually terrified of so he actually quite likes the three inches play parks now because he doesn't like being up that high <laughs> <laughs> but is that is the the fact that it's been made like safer and obviously 
like this is going to sound and I'm just trying to be careful like it's going to sound weird to like like not want that like we want safety for obviously for our children and our and our loved ones but it almost sounds like something you're saying like we've made it too safe that like then they're not there's it's not stimulating or challenging enough to actually generate any sort of physical development and attributes for them well if you think like historically i fundamentally believe that we are just slight slightly evolved from animals on a, a in a jungle or um, on the serengeti or whatever and evolutionarily we're designed to chase food to run away from animals to climb to get uh, get the food we need or even uh, over a period of time uh, tools whatever shelter all that stuff and we over the last hundred years we've, the our activity levels as Avery Fagenbaum pointed out have dropped off a cliff so mm. just our day-to-day activities are so small uh, so but the biggest thing I find here is my anecdotal um, evidence of being a stay-at-home dad so because of our jobs um, compared to my wife being a primary school teacher I could um, work around school times so I was I literally I was a stay-at-home dad for my kids until they were five and went to school um, so I, I did it for eight years and um, it was right at the advent of soft play areas soft play centers which Tim I'm sure is gonna find great great fun in these um, and so I was um, Basically, I would show up. I didn't have the the whole play date thing that mums do because mums um, have a big gang of mates that they met at prenatal or just local friends that they that they they've had babies along like a similar timeline with. So they go and have play dates and sit and drink coffee and eat cake and watch their kids roll around on the floor or not. Uh, so I would be the only dad. Very often, out of fifty parents that are at these centres, and so I would be in the in the uh, play ball pit or climbing up this, uh, the, literally climbing <laughs> up the slide sometimes or whatever, going through the soft play is great fun with my two, two, three, four year old, and I'll be like the Pied Piper. I would have fifteen <laughs> kids behind me because kids <laughs> just want to play, and the mums are drinking hot chocolate, uh, and. There is something about that for sure that we've created these very sanitized play spaces where um, they are enclosed so the kids are safe to be not looked at by the parents. So so they're safe and they're not going to be um, abducted or kidnapped or anything. But yeah. they're so safe because the parents don't want to have to be looking at them. And, and they've reconciled something within them, within the, their, their culture of... If we just let them be, they'll play with each other. The kid, the, the two and three year old will play with each other. Largely, two and three year olds don't play with each other. They sometimes play next to each other, but they they they, they psychologically haven't created those um, habits yet. They don't form like friendships until they're four or five. But they're largely playing uh, in the same in the same vicinity as each other. But they, if if you can have a conduit of a parent that's joining in. That throwing stuff at them or letting them jump and catch and and you can kind of um, set an example of how here's an idea how about we climb up this net oh great that's because historically we will have learned from our older brothers and sisters or our older brothers and sisters friends but now we're all separate and and it's just been distilled into this really safe place where kids can't get abducted but also they can't get injured so and if we went 
if we went like an age range above that, um, interested in your thoughts of um, like specialising so early. Sort of, if I think back to when when we were kids, like we'd do all we'd we'd play all sorts of sports like constantly, and things like the school field was available to you. Like there was no fencing around. Stop, you know. There's that side of it where it's actually all those fencing actually, you just climb over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, like, like the, like it'd be, it'd be very difficult for me to just go and play tennis now because you, there's, there's nowhere open. Like, you have to be a member, or you, you know, you've got to have the whatever. And whereas it, it felt like things were just a bit more, a bit easier to like just go and do. Um, but and we were encouraged to do lots of different things. Whereas there's been a, I don't know if it's a little bit of a if it's an American thing or not, where we sort of specialise early with people and go, right, they're going to be the next whatever. And at like eight years old, they're like, they're just doing that one sport. And is that, is that restricting us a little bit? Or what's your views on that? I, I think that in itself is very restrictive, but also the things that lead to that, the culture that actually leads to that end point. An end point at eight is absurd. But... Mm. It starts with at at two and three, you have um, classes of um, like soccer tots or <laughs> um, rugby bees or like so. So basically, you've just got these um, these people who traditionally would have worked in a sports shop because they like sport and weren't very smart. You've now you've now created these pathways where they can go and have a class and hire a village hall out, and then mums want somewhere to take their kid to. And it comes from a very positive place from it as a parent, as a parent's perspective. You want to, the, the idea is you, uh, I sent my kids to, well, sent, we take them and sit for the whole time and drink coffee. Um, but <laughs> you, you take them to a coaching place so that uh, we had gymnastics for my kids and there is, girls have to go to ballet. It's incredibly sexist, but they just do and I don't know why. Um, and uh, there, then there is soccer tots, which is is mixed gender largely, and um, then the rugby bees, and there's you have to start swimming at four swimming lessons, and these are all lessons, and they're all structured in that you go to them. There's a set time, but the amount of time that they're actually moving at these things is minuscule, and it will just be rugby bees will just be a, a foam shaped rugby ball. And they're largely sat around, they'll be playing some music or, or, or the soccer tots is a similar thing. Mostly they'll be sitting, waiting their turn and then they'll jog into the middle with a, uh, a foam-shaped football. And this leads to no activity, mm. being driven and doing this thing. But largely if you're, you're paid for an hour of coaching to be there and they'll be moving for 12 minutes and that's it and then the parent thinks that they've done something very positive for their kid giving their kid the opportunity to do this sport and then that that goes from them doing it at three to them doing it at six where they're doing a little bit more activity but an hour's worth of football is is there is two big studies on this Um, an hour's worth of, of football ends up with 26 minutes of movement and rugby was 28 minutes of movement in an hour from a kid mm. because they're generally just wandering around or lined up waiting waiting for the chance so so parents think that they're doing something very positive and giving these kids exposure to these sports whereby where in contrast to what we would have done as kids would have been to have just walked out of the house gone to the local field which is quarter of a mile away so you've got a quarter of a mile walking there and then a quarter of a mile walking back you might have uh, um 
gone and grabbed a couple of mates from different houses on the way there. So that expands that that distance of walking. You'd have grabbed a football or a rugby ball or uh, a cup. There was a there was a tennis ball you walked past in a bush. So you pick that up and you go <laughs> take that as well. And you will go and play some kind of game as a group with with fourteen year olds down to seven year olds on a field, and there'll be. Um, the types of movements will be um, hugely varied and they'll, they'll come up with different challenges and tasks and set different rules for the game. So there'll be problem solving. There'll be all yeah. difference of athletic movement. Or they might just play footy. But if they do, they put two, co- uh, two jumpers down and have a, a game of Wembley or Cuppies or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and you're World largely... Cup you're, exactly. But if you were World there Cup for pairs. an hour... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're there for an hour, you'd be running for an hour. Constantly, yeah, yeah. And um, well, just before we go any further, you've you mentioned it a few times. Uh, secondly, that saying good, saying saying the words parents. Whereas before, you were giving mums quite a bad rap, and I just from a from a point of view of just going like, it's um, not trying to. Uh, you know, I don't want you to upset your own wife as well as any other uh, just mums that are listening. That it's. Uh, um, you know what I mean, we're. We're not we're, saying we're, that we're equally, thing, you mean you're really we're just saying parents. opportunities podcast. But <laughs> yeah. we can say parents for sure. But also, it's really it's it's hard to say. Um, women are have this this uh, imposed motherhood, and and that that is tough for them to get careers without admitting that actually women are generally the ones that are the carers too. So, like, it is true, and both things are true, if that makes sense, and. Yeah. Yeah, go on, yeah. The, it, it, so so it comes. Uh, it's, it's all part of a big culture together, and the whole um, risk averse thing. I find in in uh, this is I'm going to really annoy everybody right now, um, but um, maybe this is what Tim expected. <laughs> if you get a group of people that are at the playground together, and one of the kids starts climbing a little bit higher. The, or maybe onto the roof of the play of the little mm. playground construction area, right? It's the social facilitation of the parents that makes them get it down, right? It's that they don't want to be seen as the parent that lets their kid be a little bit risk averse yeah. or a li- which is seen as being naughty. So it's culture of of parents not wanting to stand out because parents are there. Whereas when we were kids, we, parents probably wouldn't even be there. The kids will be at the playground on their own. Yeah. I think it's, there was a, a bit that you'd said like that. It's almost like the over-organising stuff. We're taking... Not only you're saying that there's literally the stats show that there's less activity happening, but we're taking... We're taking the opportunity away for that that play element, that exploring, and like making up your own rules to games. I was thinking of like we used to play like spider goalies and stuff like that, like basically meaning anyone can be keeper. And I'm sure that doesn't happen when you go to like, you know, whatever athletic under eights. It's like no, more, they'll, they'll, mean, it's like regimented, and it's like yeah, yeah we're taking they pretend that out. to have it. They'll, they'll pretend to have it. There'll, there'll be some lip service from an, from a, an academy group that that has uh, multi sports, and they'll pretend they'll they'll pretend to rotate the keepers. But all of the kids hate it because there's only one kid that wants to go in goal, or eight. Probably nobody wants to go in goal at that point. So instead of having rush keepers or doing how I would have it, it would be to have just two cones much closer together and no keepers. Um, so you increase the shoot, shooting accuracy of the kids as well. You, and everybody gets to play and run around, they'll just do this 
let's homogeneously everybody is equal and everybody has to share but that's not how it works and when we were seven you just have a rush keeper and then that would be an extra athletic element to the whole mm. situation I think you make your observations in comments on it is, is, is right on point Simon and it's like something that I've observed I've now got my little boy Jack's four um, and I'm the parent when, when I take him to the, the gymnastics session which is basically just like free play in a gymnastics room with the gymnastics, gymnastics centre making a bit of extra cash on a Saturday for an hour. Um, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the dad who doesn't say no to my little boy. Like, if he wants to climb higher than everybody else, he gets to climb as high. Like, but it's so interesting <laughs> watching this cultural, social dynamic of people and parents projecting their own fears onto their kids and therefore limiting their potential, as you say, risk aversion or or understanding of what might be possible. You, you'll see people, like, their kids wanted to climb up onto a higher box, and the parents go, you can't go up there, it's a bit high. And it's like, well, that child doesn't know that it can't go up there. It doesn't even know that it's high. It's just wanting to go up there. And, and, and you can see the, the the sort of the limitations being shaped from such an, an early age. And I've always been very intentional with Jack about that. I don't do it to him. If he wants to climb a tree, we'll climb a tree. I don't tell him he can't do anything. I'm just there to catch him if he falls. Um, and you point around soft play centers, apart from the only, the only other thing that's to make people aware of, if they haven't got kids and they've got one or a young one and they're listening to this, like they're absolute germ pits. If you want to get a disease, go to a soft play center um, and especially let them lick the balls in the ball pits. Um, but they... Um, they... <laughs> There's a soundbite. <laughs> yeah, they, um... I just have to process that. <laughs> the first time I took Jackie, he had his stomach into it, like upset the, the following 24 hours or 48 hours. But the, the thing with it is, it's like, you're right though. If you play with them, they'll, they'll engage in absolutely everything, but there's, there'll always be this kind of culture of sit and have a coffee. Carl and I went to one in South Africa and it was lots of, and, you, and you're right. And I don't want to paint the stereotypes, but there were, there were lots of, of mums having coffee and the groups of friends and the kids were off entertaining themselves. Um, Whereas, yeah, it's just, it is, it is astounding. And my last point, and before we kind of move on, was you make a really interesting like point around we're protecting them by making it safer from injury. We don't want them to get injured. Where I want to go next with it, Simon, is, is the, the problem with that and the irony of it is we're setting them up for injury later on in life. So we're not letting them fall from a great height or the climb or whatever, they're not building the strength and basic athleticism to handle a relatively sort of standard play park. But then we put them out into life as a 12, 13, 14, 15, 18 year old. And we've got none of the fundamental athletic ability to just not even just go and talk about performance conversation in sport, just to enjoy a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. 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 All those things are so true. If, if you remove, it's, it's not even just the physical, right? So, uh, do we have the right, the appropriate threshold for, no, that's too high? What is too high? I believe that the, we talk in these terms, but general population, I believe the average person on the street thinks the height that they think somewhere is, is uh, let's say, above average likelihood to break a bone from jumping is much lower than the actual cases. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we are. We've what we're doing is apart from we've removed the kids' natural development. So if they're if they're at two jumping, it, watching a two year old jump is the is one of the great joys of life. <laughs> you try to get a two, a two year old to actually leave the floor. They <laughs> think they're flying and their feet have not moved. It's a wonderful thing, but you gradually get them to jump. And what happens when you jump? 
you have to land. So the higher you jump, the harder you land. So the more force you have to tolerate. Your body uh, learns to adapt to these forces of landing. As you get bigger, you get heavier, the forces become greater. So your muscles and joints have to adapt to this. And that this happens as you get bigger, you, you over the years, as a kid, would be... Um, you would you would be jumping off uh, uh, off the stairs in your house. I'm going to go a fourth step. Now I'm going to see if I can jump from the top step and land all the way down into the floor uh, on the landing. You would you kids would try this. So your body is constantly having to adapt as you grow. You would be um, on a swing. You would be doing the swing on your own when you were five, and you would see the ten year old jump off the swing, and so you would copy it. Then you would see the 15-year-old jump off the swing at the top of its parabola, and you would try that too. And so you would create some kind of risk um, analysis. You would understand that yourself, so there would be a cognitive skill that you're learning, whilst also developing the, the consequence of you landing, which is, it might be just pain tolerance, but largely it will just be some muscular adaptation. And so what we're doing is removing all of these things and then at 12 going, go and play rugby. So, so now you're going to whack each other as fast as you can but that, or you're going, to, you're going to quickly stick a foot to the side and put all of your force one way against that so you could sidestep around this kid that you've never done it in your life and this is the most force you will ever face and see how your joints deal with that. Yeah, exactly right. And then, and then we start to, and this is where I, I sort of find myself getting more passionate when we look at what happens around inactivity levels as people get older. And, uh, you know, in long-term athletic development, we have to talk about these windows of opportunity. Well, the biggest window of opportunity is to set people up for an active life so that they don't end up with chronic heart disease, obesity, diabetes mm -hmm. when they are 30, 40, 50 years old. But we can only do that if we give kids the opportunity to enjoy sport it's not about a pathway and, and i agree with you about the speciali specialization and one of the things i've tried to do with jack is actually he hasn't been to a coached session of anything yet and he's only four years old right you don't normally start until about now we're now at the, th the threshold where we can start taking into those things but i just like it's it, jeremy shepherd a guy who works with the canadian snowboarding team said that so much we have so much sport we have is square sports it's so predictable and structured and, and regimented and what I've, what I want to do with Jack is just give him the opportunity to go and try just freestyle stuff, like just go and make your own game and, and play by yourself and, and or play in, your, in the way that you want to you want to play. Um, and just give him that those skills and the confidence to move in whichever way he feels like he wants to move and then let him find his own enjoyment through a sport. And, and that's where this athletic physical literacy comes from. You have the tools to be able to do anything and then you can go and find something that you enjoy rather than going to rugby, getting the seven bells knocked out of you because you've never kind of jumped and landed or been had any impact before and, and thinking, well, that's not for me. In fact, all sports not for me. Um, it's pretty, I think, I think that is one of the biggest issues that we have and, and we, we kind of tackle health issues when people get sick whereas we actually need to be thinking about what is i think inactivity is like the fourth biggest killer in in the uk i think we should be tackling that when we are five six seven years old giving kids a, a love for movement and it's and, and like i know that we, we're still kind of living in this age of where we need to have math science and english as our priorities but the amount of sport that the kids get to do at school is is horrendous and 
I remember one you, did, you posted during lockdown, Simon, about the amount of steps your, your boy had done, I think, when he was at home versus went back to school. Am I right? And, and the difference was just yeah. horrendous. Yeah, yeah. So he's back at school now and he's, he's averaging 17 or 18,000 steps a day. So this is not sport. This is not exercise. This is just activity. And when he was at home, we're talking less than 2,000 steps a day. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and then we talk about We've the cost. We've never seen. Yeah. Yeah, the, the cost of inactivity. And we've never seen it. It's impossible for us to predict the consequences of this. There is, it's going to be on so many levels. Just, uh, there is, you're talking the windows of opportunity, but that, that for uh, girls, probably 12 to 15, and for boys, 13 to 16-ish. But those kids that were in that age group, those age groups last, in the last 12 months where they're going through hormonal, very um, huge hormonal changes and um, structural anatomical changes, that there, there's going to be an issue with their bone density because they've literally not been bearing weight. They've not been standing up. They've just been lying down. So, that, so there are going to be, you, you guys are going to have, uh, 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 be busy with uh, <laughs> fixing, fixing shoulders for the next 20 years. Because these kids have been lying on beds or sit or slumping on sofas playing playstations with terrible posture. They're, they're, as their tissues are getting um, longer, they're getting weaker and they're not having any of the positive um, hormones or, or they're losing co completely lost, depleted vitamin D. They're not getting the positive hormones from challenging themselves physically or... Um, and, and, like s s testosterone stimulus from sprinting or and running around or jumping or any of those things that they've, got, they've, they've completely removed that's that's as a side effect that's not even talking about the actual real um physical issues with with not training for a year mm. So let's get. We've kind of we've, we've talked a bit about the state of the nation and, and people listening that have, that have got kids or involved in working with kids will, will hopefully have heard some of this. And and I, we we probably at a point where we've got um, like the UK particularly with the amount of sport that's included in schools is is potentially another point for conversation. But where do we go forwards from here, Simon? Do we is it something that as parents we need to take responsibility for ourselves? Do we need more provision? Do we need more? different attitude towards how we introduce movement and activity to kids do we just need to kind of try and get rid of the rest of the red tape and build or create environments where kids can start to get to challenge them or have we gone too far into an xbox generation where we just we're going to struggle to find our way back to the good old days when we were kids i think all of those things sadly and <laughs> i think are true we need we need a cultural change amongst parents so whatever that culture is that, um, of the younger parents, because they set the culture, they set the trends of these things, that, um, that led us to soft play, that led us to making your kids sit in coffee shops while you eat cake and, and drink coffee. If we, can, if we can move those even just to a cafe, a park, whereby you can see outside, but we let our kid go in the park and go and play with their mates in the park, even if it's... 50 metres away. They are safe. If you look at the numbers of, of kidnappings of childhood stuff, it's it doesn't happen anymore. It's really hard because all if it just if we look at the crime rates, I know this is not going the angle that we talked that you were expecting, but they are they don't exist anymore. So the perception of risk is so far outweighs 
the actual risk to our kids. We need to trust the fact that they can find their own ways around a park and get back to us safely. I went to Hong Kong on my own when I was seven. That I appreciate that this isn't normal, but it's it's much closer to normal than than you would have that people would have us believe. There are big studies about um, a cohort in Germany done by a, a Harvard University about three years ago, um, where autonomous seven-year-olds, because there's a much bigger culture of that in Germany, they were allowed. So they they studied these kids for for three months, and um, and they were back. They, they were what we would call latchkey kids from the seventies. Parents just went to went to work in the morning before the kids went to school. Kids went to school on their own on the bus. Uh, like right across the city and they would go and play together take themselves to footy after afterwards and then and then come back and make themselves dinner and their parents would come home at seven o'clock and all of the um, personality profiling of these kids they were all way more content way happier way more confident much better decision makers much better at, uh, at understanding and perceiving of risks than their american counterparts because we, so culturally, we need to remove this fear that we have as parents. I think that's the single biggest thing. And the other biggest thing we can do is make our kid, make, is, is to talk to our schools, talk to our teachers, talk to the education system, try to, try to develop some kind of a wave of, um, of, of energy for change. Particularly now, you can't, we need to have more PE in school and PE needs to be, doesn't need to be more structured. There just needs to be more of it. I don't, I don't mean the PE where we've got um, uh, an hour where an external level one football coach comes in and teaches the kids indoor archery. The kids need to be moving. They need to have an opportunity outside with the, all of the expensive stuff, even if it's the low level um, playgrounds where they can barely climb. That's way better than not climbing at all, standing in a line waiting to throw a, a, a foam arrow. Go and let them, let them try these things out. Let them move their body. Let them master movement skills and, and create games and challenge for each other. And that will lead to good things. The goal of my of of my coaching from a, a youth athletic development perspective is is that when they're twenty five, when that kid is is the four year old or the or the fifteen year old, when they are twenty five, I want the them to be playing footy or netball or rugby on a Friday night bef- with their mates before they go out and get drunk. That's my one goal. I want them to have enough <laughs> athletic competence that they're confident enough to do this because the consequence of, of them being capable of, of uh, a standard of sport, uh, of movement skills, gives them the confidence to play the sport at, at, as an adult and that mm. fixes our economy as well as doing all of the good stuff that we need. And... Um- with the you've you've obviously worked um, with a lot of children with uh, with the strength lab, and you've got you know, you've seen it with your own kids. How, where do you stand on the sort of um, nature versus nurture? Like how when we're looking at like kids' development, like do you do you believe that um, you know anybody can achieve like whatever level it is that they want to get to or you know, we see so we see it in like professional. When I think of like professional sport, you see so many, 
you know, I was watching the football the other day and it was like Peter Schmeichel's, Casper uh, Schmeichel, like, is it any, is it a surprise that he's also a fantastic goalkeeper? Like, or is it actually because his dad is, like, where, where do you sort of stand on that, um, that sort of line of thinking? I always think it's an interesting one. Part of it me wants really... to believe anyone can do anything, but I don't know if it's true. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I think I think I've had this conversation with Tim slightly before. But but so you went down. You, you dragged me down a sexism angle earlier. Now That's we're going it. down a racism angle. It's it, it's <laughs> there is genetically there is a ceiling to your athletic abilities. But the pro, so so I think that's inarguable. There is a genetic ceiling to your to whether how fast you can possibly run. Yeah. I could never run in a like a hundred meter um athlete athlete level or um you're going to get kids that it's impossible for them to pack on enough weight to reach the performance minimum threshold required to play rugby at at an elite level no matter their skill set so genetics play a role Mm. but that role that genetics play is so far above anything that nurture can can impact Right, so nurture has uh, basically ruined uh, a whole generation's worth of kids, so that we never get to see what their genetic capabilities right. are. Yeah, that's a they're, good they're never close to testing their genetic capabilities because they're so sedentary in the first place. That's my thing. It's my whole yeah. thing. So we're not even finding that, out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not close. So, so, so uh, superheroes are set up around um, giving. Basically, giving. I, I, there's a story I talk about a lot. That um, there was this one, um, let's say, larger girl. She was larger in all senses of of the word, um, and she uh, at ten. And her mother was writing into school, uh, preventing her from play from doing PE because whatever reason, it was, her mother was a larger person too and hadn't had had bad experiences with PE and then and then the younger the girl she'd had bad obviously bad experiences with PE as it is didn't enjoy it and so so much that 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 they they had an excuse that she never had to do PE and um so I go into school and the teachers sometimes come and tell me largely they don't want anything to do with PE but sometimes they'll come and ask me about how did this kid with special needs get on or how did this girl who's not allowed and I'm not, I don't even know who you're talking about. They all have to join in. That's basically it. And mostly the kids that have got special needs, I didn't even know. They just had a great time and they were just as good as everybody else. And that's it. So so let's stop with the label. But going back to this, this girl, right? She, I didn't care for the complaint. I made her join in and we just encouraged her to learn skills the same as everybody else. Everybody had to start at the same point, whether they were academy footballers or the kid that hates PE. They, this is the skill that we're learning today. These are the stars you earn for, for success, for learning them. And this is the pathway that, you, that we're going on. So if you, uh, if you earn this star, this star, this star, you can then progress to this star, this star, this star, and you gradually build up your toolbox of, of skills and you get better and better. And it's objective. This isn't a, um, a teacher saying you're good or bad. It's already laid out. The kids award the stars to each other. So, so consequently, this girl, over the first two sessions, starts to get some kind of success for the first time in PE. 
because she's never achieved anything before. These are really minor, minor successes of, of a movement skill. Can you, can you get down and up in a squat, basically? Um, okay, she can sit down and manage to stand all the way back up again. So she's starting to get, get uh, rewards, intrinsic rewards. And that's where ki kids that don't like PE have got a real issue. That's where we lose them. And so she starts to see this journey that she's on. She's getting success. She's doing it at home. She's improving her physical skills. By the end of the second year, she was, she's the captain of the school netball team, and she's playing county-level netball as a year nine now. And this, these are the kids that we're talking about. That She's not a genetic, you know, um, athletic behemoth. She's, just, she's a kid that's never had the opportunity before to, to be good at something physical. And they're the ones we miss it. That, that I, I want to remove those barriers so that, that there's a whole generation of kids that now have the opportunity to find a sport that they're good at. Or I don't want kids doing, doing aerobics at 18. That's just stupid. Go and do some sports with, with friends. That's basically where we're at. And I want to remove those movement barriers that prevent that from happening. I love it. And if you want to go and Simon, if people want to find out a bit more about um, about your work and, and particularly we recommend going and checking it out if you've got kids because it's all built around Marvel characters. It's fantastic um, that Simon's done such a good job with creating movement patterns like the superheroes that the kids are absolutely sort of obsessed with and, and love to watch. So they become, they get to play out their fantasy of being Iron Man or the Hulk or, or whoever it might be. And um, where can we find, where can people find out a bit more about that, Simon, get a flavor for it? Uh, strengthlab.co.uk or if, if, if it's your bag uh, strengthlab superheroes on Instagram amazing and you, um, you, you've got your program into hundreds of thousands of schools worldwide now haven't you as I understand it um, we've got we've got 115,000 kids in the program there are um, we've probably got 400-ish schools or academies this is a national so in some countries have it in uh, national governing bodies of, of sports they roll out, they they deliver um to their uh, academies and some of them go into schools and so like we're, uh, we've got some swim island the the gaa whatever that gaelic football um yeah. like judo in a couple of countries we've got a couple of olympic associations that the that, that it's their lowest level of their youngest access for their, um, their, their younger kids. And it needs to be in more primary schools or something of that ilk needs to be in more primary schools. So movement is a priority. Yeah, great. Jacko, anything to wrap it up? Uh, no, just thank you for, uh, we'll put those links in the show notes, um, Simon, so people they can, uh, you know, if they haven't checked out the stuff with Strength Lab at, on Instagram or on the website, then uh, they can head over straight from those links in the show notes. And just, yeah, massive thank you for being uh, on the podcast and being so uh, honest with, with, your, um, with your views and things and sharing that with us. Pleasure. It's always fun. So there we have it, Mr. Simon Brundish, waxing lyrical on all things youth development. I hope there has been some interesting takeaways in there and, and some stuff to go and think about as to as a, the sort of language, I think, is a particular takeaway for me on this one of how we 
we are influenced by the environments which we allow or expose our children to and the language that we sometimes find ourselves using and some of the things that we've talked about within the podcast. And I think I've, I, as a parent, have become much more mindful about how I shape and influence my children's exposure to physical activity as a result of some of the conversations or the content, the conversations that, that we have with Simon. So I hope that is useful and it's something for us to do some work on ourselves when we are engaging with kids and thinking about these physical activity structures that they engage in and uh, I, I am childless or kidless so I'm just going to ask you for a, a nice five star review on iTunes or if you uh, if you have already given if you haven't given us a review uh, then we really appreciate and welcome review if you uh, if you enjoyed the podcast um, obviously we'd love you to to engage let us know how what you thought of it types of things that you're thinking about trying to utilize and uh, yeah share that with us and the best place to do that is probably on Instagram so we look forward to seeing what you thought of the podcast thanking you all right so until next time keep exploring your physical potential with movement strength and play